0: You're listening to a Sun Life podcast. We pray that you be blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information, visit sunlife.org.au. Enjoy the sermon. Grab a seat. You know, as you sit down, why don't you just say hi to the person next to you if, if you you know, don't mind. and Maybe get to know them. As the church gets larger, it's important for us to meet new people. good to have you here this morning. My name is Ben and I'm the pastor here. Uh, this morning here, um, I have the joy and privilege to, uh, to introduce and welcome a very, very good brother in the Lord who has served uh, with me uh, at Sun Life Church for over a decade and he's one of the elders here. He's one of the um, great uh, supporters of, of what I do. Uh, we have this thing at Sun Life Church where I'm a I'm bad cop and he's good cop. It's so true. I'm the one where he has to always remind me for more grace and more love as I deal with the people here. And God has used Simon on many occasions just to remind me of patience and forgiveness and kindness and grace. And I'm not exaggerating. It is so true. And that's why sometimes I say to him, it's just not fair. How come you know I'm the bad cop and you're the good cop? why can't we just reverse it for once you know once? but uh, God is so good in giving us an elder insight. and Simon this morning here he's, he's been praying, and um, you know um, he's going to bring us a word this morning, uh, and he's had a huge week, <laughs> a massive week, I don't know whether you want to share that, but he's had a huge week, and um, you know the the devil you know it's I said, I said this to the, the Sun Life Kids ministry earlier on, that when we stand here and we present the gospel, it's not just you who hears the gospel in the morning. There's, there's others, uh, <laughs> there are creatures and there's fallen angels in the spiritual realms who also listens to what we say. And they're not happy when we proclaim that our Jesus is alive and he's victorious and we belong to his kingdom. And so Simon has had a huge week with lots of things going on. And so I'm so glad that he is here this morning to uh, bring the Word of God to us. So why don't we give a huge Sun Life round of applause to our Elder Simon Young?
1: Thank you, <laughs> Thanks, Pastor Bin, for the, the very kind words. Um, I also wanted to thank Jordan and the worship team, but they've disappeared. But I'm going to thank them anyway. Uh, they, they've, I think, um, you know, the. I didn't talk to Jordan before about the message I was about to share, uh, but he, he chose some songs that I think are very relevant, very pertinent, um, and, and appropriate for this morning. You know, before we start, can I ask? I mean, this is meant to be part of our meet and greet, but can I ask if you can find someone you don't really know, right, or don't know well, and ask them what kind of traditions. Christmas traditions that you, you follow in your family, if any. Okay, so in other words, what have you been doing leading up to Christmas? Putting up the Christmas tree, dinner, like turkey, what's for dinner, turkey, duck, I don't know, it depends if you, you know, what what cultural background. Feel free to turn to the person next to you and chat with them, ask them. Ask them what kind of Christmas traditions you follow. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Sounds like you all you all celebrate Christmas, right? Great. Great. Fantastic. Fantastic. You know uh, the common. Wonderful. How many people are having, how many people are having turkey, turkey for Christmas? How about a picking duck? How about dim sum, Something, whatever. Anyway, so. You know the most common uh, traditions that we, we share in Western society. Uh, you know, Christmas dinner, watch a Christmas movie, uh, go caroling, or go to a carols by candlelight event, uh, go and see Christmas lights. How many, us, how many of us do that? Do that? How many of, you know? How many of us would drive past a street and see all these lights and then sort of slow down and oh, and the kids are there and say, oh yeah, it's fantastic. I'm sure we do that, right? We do that, right? Uh, how many? Okay, another one is uh, bake uh, Christmas cookies and decorate gingerbread houses. Yeah. <laughs> how many, okay, a few of us do that. No? A few? <laughs> Those who are, have the gifting in you know baking, right? Not me. Um, send out Christmas cards. Make a Christmas wreath. Um, put up a Christmas tree. Why? Yeah. Right? Those are common traditions. But you know, there, there are uh, traditions around the world that are quite different to to what we how we. Um, uh, go about Christmas. Okay, in Norway, they hide, they hide brooms on Christmas Eve. They hide brooms away. Uh, it's, a, it's a tradition apparently that um, dates back centuries where people believe that witches and evil spirits come out on Christmas Eve and they're looking for brooms to fly on. <laughs> right, so, so people just hide their brooms, hide their brooms away on Christmas Eve to stop them from being, take, you know, from being stolen. Uh, in Venezuela, every Christmas Eve, the uh, you know the residents in uh, in the city they head to church the church every morning, which is normal, right? There's normally we go to church you know, on Christmas Christmas Eve, uh, but but they do so on roller skates. <laughs> they roller skate to church, right? Um, so what happens, it's so popular that the people you know, they, they close all the roads. They close all the roads, make sure there's no cars and make sure that people can, can skate in safety. How many people here can roller skate? Anyone here? How many people? Cool, only a few, so we're not going to have this in our church, okay? We're not going to encourage people to do that, okay? It's not going to work. In, in the Philippines, there's what you call the, the Giant Lantern Festival, right? And that's held each year uh, before Christmas Eve, the Saturday before each uh, Christmas Eve, uh, in the city of San Fernando, which is the, uh, seen as the Christmas capital of the, of the Philippines. Um, you know, it attracts spectators from all over the country and across the globe. And basically, they have this huge competition amongst all the villages there. That's. Can you show the slide? Just just to give, it, give you an idea of how it looks like. There you go. So you see, that? see the size of the person taking photos? It's huge, right? Now, um, in Sweden, since 1966, a 13 meter tall Yule goat has been built in the centre of uh, Gavli's Castle Square for the event. So in Sweden, they, they apparently they believe that uh, there's this, there's the Yule goat that's an invisible spirit that will appear before Christmas to make sure that the ho- you know your, all your holiday preparations go smoothly and are done correctly, right? So there you go. That's, that's, that's a, different, a very different tradition. Um, something just a bit more mild, you know, a bit more mild to, to finish off. You know, in Japan, Christmas is not seen as a huge thing, right? But but a, fa- a fairly a new tradition that has emerged apparently amongst families is that they, they eat KFC on Christmas Day. How about that? I guess I guess you know the thing about the West and that's all. You know, KFC is part of you know the US and, and so on. So they, they eat KFC on Christmas. You know, just the point is, just by looking at the, um, the various uh, Christmas traditions from around the world, you know, Christmas can mean different, different things to different people. Even if your cultural heritage, just like Sweden, Norway, the Philippines, they have a, like a Christian heritage, right? But their, their, Christian, their Christmas traditions are so different. Even amongst those of us who recognise that Christian, the Christian foundation of Christmas, you know, our focus on Christmas can be mixed in with all the little traditions that we, we mentioned earlier, you know the holiday period and you know, Santa Claus, giving presents and all those things. I'm not saying they're wrong, just saying that we often lose focus on the most important message of Christmas. We lose the, the sense of wonder and awe at what God did on Christmas, namely, the incarnation of the Son of God. How do we get back? How do we get back to the heart of Christmas? Well, like anything, when you want to get uh, get the full context and the bigger picture of something, you want to go back to the beginning of the story. Now, the beginning of the story of Christmas is not with the Virgin Birth and the Immaculate Conception. I'm sure we're aware of those terms. It's not even with the prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. You know that you think that's where you should go. Isaiah, those those prophets. We actually have to go back further. We have to go back to the beginning, before the beginning, of the world. That's why I'm going to read from John chapter one, verse one to fourteen, and then I'll pray. John chapter one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing has been made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness had not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Can, can we pray? Can we pray and um, ask God to help me? <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you for this amazing profound passage that John wrote you know, 2,000 years ago that really gives, out, gives the background behind the powerful message, the wonderful message of the gospel. Father God, I pray that you help me as I uh, share some light and expound your word uh, this morning. I pray your Holy Spirit will be with us as we work through uh, the great, this great passage in God's word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, what, what this passage says in John chapter 1 is quite is, is very profound. Uh, the most, probably the most important thing we need to know from this passage is that clearly John is talking about Jesus. Well, it is pretty obvious. In verse 14, uh, it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And of course, Jesus is the focus of John's gospel. But why did John use the Word to, dis- to describe Jesus. The Greek word for word was logos, right? Why did John refer to Jesus as the logos? To answer that, it's it's just worth us being aware of the Greek Greek thought at that time. The logos had a broader meaning than just, just word. It could mean thought, reason, purpose, principle, or in Greek philosophy, it could mean a cosmic, spiritual principle. So basically the Greeks, they saw that there was, there was this balance and order in the world, in the universe. They attributed all this to an impersonal cosmic principle called the Logos. And they would argue that if, want, if you want your lives to go well, if you want to You know, if you want to do well and succeed and have inner peace, inner harmony—all those things that people talk about—we must be in alignment with the logos. Back in John's day, there's there's different philosophers. There were many different philosophers that had different perspectives as to what this logos was. Which is my first point: which logos? Two of the well-known philosophies back in John's day was Stoicism and Epicureanism. The Stoics they believe that if you just accept you know whatever happens to you, whatever you know you just accept life is sort of fate it's all determined. If you just accept it in in a very virtuous manner, you respond in a virtuous manner. Then things will go well. That's the way to a happy life. That was their logos. That was their guiding principle. Another group of philosophers called the Epicureans they said. You know, find out, find out what makes you happy. You know, it's all about. Don't worry, be happy. You know, just find out what makes you happy. What it's all about seeking pleasure, hedonism. You know, that's that's the common word to describe that. You know, if we are uh, you know it's pleasure seeking with some with some degree of restraint. They they, they sort of advocate you know you got to have some you know, there's within boundaries. But it's all about life is all about seeking pleasure. You know, what makes you feel good, and that was their goal. Their purpose and their main principle for living, their logos. Well, you, you might ask, you know what, what is this, you know, what has this got to do with me? You know, but, um, you know, you, you think about it, a lot of people, there, there are people who hold to something very similar. Stoics who try to live a virtuous life, hedonists, people who live for pleasure, and a mixture of both. You know, you see both in the world today. Now, just like, just like there are different views of, what the focus and meaning of Christmas is, they're different views. They're different views of what the Logos is. And we see that there's a lot of examples of that, not just in what I just shared, um, Hedonism and, and Stoicism. There's you know, people believe in karma. Have you heard of that one? Believe that there's justice. Justice will prevail. Um, you do something good, and you get good karma, and you do something bad, you get bad karma, and you, know, you get your just desserts somehow. And it's all based on a very abstract Understanding that somehow it just happens in this in this world. Um, many other examples. There are many other examples. You know, new, new, you know, if you have a New Agey, they have they have their own uh, beliefs, pantheism, the Force in Star Wars. You know, some people have something similar to that kind of belief. And but all of them, they would have some kind of uh, they they would have some, um, you know, they would argue that if you follow their approach you will find inner peace, harmony, harmony with yourself, with others, success, fulfillment, all those things, all the things that all of us are after. Popular psychology, self-help books are another example. And you find a list of uh, you know, principles in, in some of the, you know, the bestsellers, some of the popular psychology books that usually revolve around you know, one main main concept, you know, I mean, it has to be something a bit different, a bit newish, uh, sort of, you know, so they can make it to the bestsellers list, you know, people want to buy it. I remember reading a book, this, is, this shows you how my age, right? Like, uh, I remember reading a book, an old, old book called the, the Power of Positive Thinking. Has anyone heard of that one? You heard of that book? The Power of Positive Thinking. Now, it's all about maintaining a positive attitude and, and a, a positive perspective in whatever circumstances that you find yourself And when you do that, everything will work out. All things will work out. Interesting thing about this book is that it was based on a lot of Christian principles. But it tries to link faith and all those, you know, what the Bible says with psychiatry. To the extent that it really waters, it just, you know, I can't can't tell the difference between psychiatry and, and the Bible. When I read the book, it waters down the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the need to deal with sin. You don't talk about sin in that book. You know, we need to be careful about these kind of books which appear to draw upon Christian principles, but only very very selectively. You know, we have, there, 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 are number of, there are a number of works out there, a lot of stuff on social media. Uh, a Road Less Travel, that's another one. You may have heard of that one. But Paul's letter to the Colossians, which we studied earlier this year, addresses this, this kind of thing, right? It's a slightly different context, but it's a, it, the principle is the same. See to it, verse 8, chapter 2, verse 8. In Colossians, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world? Do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, but with their self imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, they lack any value, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So, I guess one, one application that we can draw from, from this is that you know, we really need to be focused on reading the Bible, right, and understanding the whole Bible rather than just the bits and pieces the Bible. We should focus on reading the Bible rather than guidelines from popular books to social media, which, which are very, uh, you know, very appealing. You know, they have an appearance of wisdom, as it says in Colossians, but they don't really help you to live a godly life. Anyhow, back, back to the Logos, back to John's perspective on the Logos. There's actually a huge difference between what John was talking about and what the Greek philosophers, and what a lot of the people uh, believe today are talking about. For John, there 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 is a Logos in the world. There is a Logos that all other principles and laws, everything in the world or universe, revolves around. But this Logos is not an abstract, universal, cosmic principle. For John, the Logos revolves around a person. Which leads me to my my second point. The Logos. Not a what, but a who. John gives a very good reason why this person whom he spent three and a half years as his disciple must be the Logos. And of course, that is the subject of the rest of the book of John, which we're not going to go through this morning. The person, this person, which John was referring to in this, the first part of uh, John, was with God at the beginning. He was separate to God. He had the same essence as God. In fact, he was God. He wasn't just divine. He didn't just have some qualities of divinity. He was God. His essence was the same as God. It says in verse 3, through him all things were made without him nothing was made that has been made this means that the logos could do all the things that only god could do and did including create the world and the universe the, the world and universe it also implies that the logos was never created but if you if without him nothing was made you read the, uh, the, the verse carefully without him nothing was made that was made Now, it sort of goes without saying that he himself, the Logos, could not have been created. He was with God from the beginning. He was co-eternal with God. Paul says something similar to John about the Son of God in his letter to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 5, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Note that Paul says, in the Son of God, everything in heaven and earth holds together, and through him all things on heaven and on earth, are reconciled through him. That's just another way of saying that. Jesus is the Logos. In other words, he was the one who was at the beginning. He was with God. He was God. While the Greeks saw the Logos as a cosmic, universal, spiritual principle that the universe revolved around, Paul and John recognized that the universe revolved around a person that is Jesus, the Son of God. Now, if, if the Logos is actually a person rather than an abstract principle, there's a very significant ramification. You know, it, in many ways it's easier if, if the Logos wasn't just an abstract cosmic principle. You know, it's some of the, something that's in common with all the different views that we talked about, other than John's view, other than Paul's view, was that you know you're trying to figure out uh, what are the right principles? It's all about finding principles, you know, finding a list of things to follow, a list of rules. And once we do them to the best of our ability, and things will go well. That's that's how we will succeed in life. How we achieve you know, success, riches, inner peace, inner harmony, you know, our favorite words for this morning, you know, inner harmony, happiness, fulfillment. But if the logos is a person, and the whole universe revolves around Him, then there are a couple of very significant ramifications. It means that in order for things to go well with us, for us to find our place and purpose on earth, we need to find out what are the requirements of the Logos, the Son of God. The problem is, if the Logos was with God, and who actually is God, and through Him the whole universe holds together, you would expect that it's very, very hard, if not impossible, to have any meaningful relationship with God, with the Logos, let alone fulfill the requirements that he requires of us, unless he actually provides a way for us. And that's exactly what God did. And in verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So that's my final uh, point. The Logos became flesh. Now just just for us to fully grasp how profound it was that the Logos would would become flesh, let's compare this with Jesus, the Son of God, in his bodily form in heaven, right? Right? Okay, so Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a, in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like, was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I felt at his feet as though dead. <clears throat> you know, if we, if we encounter Jesus in his glorious form in heaven, We'd probably have the same reaction. We'd probably be so terrifying and we'd fall down as if we were dead. Just like John. Jesus would be unapproachable. And most most scholars would say that Jesus appeared in a very similar way in Daniel. And we studied Daniel this year, if you all remember, in Daniel chapter 10, verse 7 to 9. And Daniel had had a similar response. He said, I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. So that's what made Jesus, the Son of God, the logos. That's what made his appearance on Earth as a human so profound. The Son, of, the Son of God made himself approachable. In fact, he made himself approachable to people who would normally seen normally be seen as the most unworthy amongst humans. You know the sinners, the tax collectors. by being born as a baby. And grow up as, and to grow up as a human, Jesus was able to sympathize with us as humans, to sympathize with our weaknesses, the challenges, the temptations of being a human. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. Let us then... Approach God's, fro- God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now we can actually approach God with confidence rather than fear or unworthiness because of Jesus. All we need to do is to receive him by believing in his name. As it says in John chapter 1, verse 12, Yet to all who did receive him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, not of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And that's the amazing, profound story of Christmas. That Jesus, the true Logos, through whom the whole universe was created and holds together, was willing to humble himself and to become a human being, In order to allow us to approach him, to approach him, and not only that, but to have a relationship with him, like a child to a father. Of course, there's there's another step that Jesus took, that goes even beyond what God has already done by becoming, you know, sending His Son as a human, and that is that, of course, is found in the story of Easter. Where Jesus, the Son of God, the Logos, sacrifices his life for us, and what that shows us, that he loves, he loves us as humans. Basically, I'm just going to leave you with that thought. Uh, as we come into Christmas, I hope that we can. My prayer is that we can. Experience the awe and wonder of what Christ has done, what God has done by sending the true Logos here on earth as a human, so that we can come near to God and not be so far away from God as would be the case for someone who is so glorious, for someone who was there with God from the beginning, who is God Himself, who is so far beyond us and so holy. That's what what holiness means the Godness of God, who is so separate and beyond us how about we pray how about we pray as we close dear heavenly father we give you thanks and praise for your greatness your awesomeness father god sometimes when we listen and we watch the nativity scene and we go through the Christmas period, sometimes we get a very, very mixed view of what's happening at Christmas. Even the nativity scene, we just focus on one small thing about the baby Jesus, the angels and the shepherds. It becomes such a a, a nice story. That's where we, 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 we tend to be reduced to such a nice story. But Father God, we know that it's far greater, far greater than that, Nativity scene. We know that it is, it is a reflection of your greatness. Your greatness of who you are, the Son of God, sitting at the right hand of the Father, who is with God from the beginning. And yet, out of your love for us, you would send, you would come down. The Son of God will come down as a human, so that we can be near to Him. To near to you, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, we pray that this Christmas period that you would help us embrace and recognize and worship the great God that you are far greater than anything else in all creation and yet we also recognize how great is your love that you would want to come down and humble yourself to be close to us and ultimately you pay your pay the price the ultimate price for us out of your love for us Therefore, this morning, we want to receive your love and we want to honour you and worship you and acknowledge how great a God you are. Lord, we give you thanks and praise. And Lord, for those of us who yet to receive you, to believe in your name, so that we can come close to you. Heavenly Father, we pray, I pray that you will speak to anyone here, that they would also be able to draw near to God, the Logos of the universe. We give you thanks and praise in the name of Jesus.